0: Good morning, Florida Council of the Blind, good morning, American Council of the Blind, and good morning to all of our friends on ACB Radio. Today is our final day for our FCB convention, and we know that it's early for some of you and you might still be snuggled down in bed, but please don't fall asleep because we have a wonderful program for you today. We're going to start off with our welcome ceremony with our President Sheila Young, and then we're going to have three of our wonderful convention sponsors so sheila go ahead and begin please good morning everybody thank you
1: katie good morning fcb members friends acb acb radio welcome to the 67th florida convention <clears throat> from your own home instead of from a hotel this year um i would like to ask everyone that can to please stand and join us with Paul Edwards leading us in the pledge, please.
2: The good news is that uh, unless you actually have a flag in your room, you are facing your flag perfectly. So I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
3: Thank you, Paul. (laughs) mm <laughs>
1: for sharing one of your music boxes with us. Ms. Cassandra Jesse will lead us in a prayer.
4: Father, thank you for this day that we've never seen before. Thank you for the 67th convention that we're going through. Thank you for technology. Thank you for ACB. Thank you for FCB. Thank you for my family and my friends. Lord, as we go through this day, let us be able to have fun as we've always had and keep us all safe. In Jesus name we pray, amen. Now we will
1: hear from some of our sponsors. We certainly appreciate each and every one of them. Uh, We will start with ESNS Votes, and that is Allison Tobelsky. Could you welcome Allison?
4: Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you for having us on here. We certainly wish that we were together as usual in the flesh, um, joining together, but we are just so thankful to be a part of your community. um, And as the landscape of Voting is changing this year. I know ESNES is rapidly innovating products to help with the safety and security in our voting technology. And we are just looking forward to getting back out there and joining together and continuing in the democratic process this year. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Allison. Yeah. Thank you. And next, we have Spectrum. And is Peter here? good morning can you hear me Good morning yes sir thank you so much for sponsoring our convention and thank you for joining us
5: oh absolutely thank you so much (laughs) it's so glad to to be spending this bright and early morning with all of you with the fcb and um, i believe it's the third year in a row that we are um, a sponsor participant of the convention really proud of that And, and you know it's really it's really because of these partnerships with uh, FCB and the greater ACB community that we have uh, been able to develop a suite of products and services that um, you can enjoy today. Um, you know that, coupled with an accessibility team that uh, is uh, many of whom are visually impaired or blind, and I think that's what um, produces the outstanding results that we've been able to achieve over the last several years. And you know, we've started a really launched this year with a uh, with a big bang uh, and an innovations team uh, that uh, went headfirst into a uh, new project. And I think you'll be really excited about what this means for you. I want to just give a a, a a quick highlight of sort of where we stand today for our FCB friends, so that you're aware. Um, guide narration, spectrum guide with guide narration. I know, I believe I mentioned this last year when we met and certainly mentioned it at the ACB uh, National Convention. But <clears throat> I know some of you probably cringe at the word Roku and some of you don't. Some of you feel, feel very comfortable and happy with your Roku box. Uh, and regardless of which side of that you fall on, you can continue to enjoy Spectrum TV on Roku. But I really think that now that we've launched Guide Narration um, as of last year and, and all of our markets, um, and I know our Florida market was one of those that was waiting. Uh, I think guide narration on the spectrum guide is a, is a really superior service. And then, of course, uh, spectrum TV on Apple TV, uh, spectrum TV for your mobile devices. These all continue to be fully accessible with the um, with the accessibility features that you have on your devices. Um, now, I know all of you probably are familiar with uh, the term audio description and closed captioning. These are services that we've passed through uh, and given to the customers. Uh, but the limitations that we faced for years now with not being able to deliver audio description um, because it's 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 something that we have to receive from the network providers and pass along to our customers. It's been a point of frustration, not just for our blind and visually impaired customers, but us as well, and I think our innovations team really got it right this year uh, when we partnered with ActiveView, and uh, we did acquire ActiveView. So if you're familiar with that with that uh, product, um, then you'll already have a pretty good idea of where this is going. But ActiveView now uh, branded Spectrum Access um, is a product that allows you to use the microphone on your device while the app is open to identify where you are in a movie. And it, if the movie, if the audio description track is in the library, uh, the Spectrum Access Library, then you'll be able to perfectly synchronize the point um, in your movie to the audio description track and uh, begin enjoying audio description even if it's not being passed through to the traditional service. Um, this is this is really running in parallel with our um, on-demand content, so that's the curation Uh, process is really based on that on-demand content, but um, there's a lot of movies in there that uh, are not uh, based on the on-demand content, and that library is growing uh, very quickly. So I encourage you to download the Spectrum Access app and try it out. You don't have to be a customer, and it's absolutely free. Uh, Really excited to bring this to market this year, and I think you'll really enjoy it, and I think it'll solve a lot of our problems. as well. I'm an audio description user myself, and I'm really excited to be using this product um, when I'm enjoying my entertainment at home as well. Um, I just want to thank you all again for being such a great part of our community and contributing. Many of you have written and been beta testers, so thank you so much, and I look forward to many years of great partnership.
1: Thank you, Peter, and I know that a lot of our FCB members really appreciate what the Accessibility Department has done, so we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I'd also like to mention we have another representative from uh, Spectrum, Patty Bullington is from Colorado, I think? That's correct. It's correct, yeah. And we just want to say good morning to you and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. And we appreciate all you've done for our members here in Florida, too, because I know we have bombarded you with emails, so
6: Well, <laughs> I, think, I think we're finally on track, but thank you so much.
1: Good. And our third sponsor for this morning is Vanda Pharmaceuticals, and that is Shauna jaso Shauna, good morning, and thank you so much for your support. Where'd you go? Shauna? Are you there?
7: We saw her here earlier. Yeah, but, I know she was here. But she is not here at the moment, unfortunately. Uh-oh. Not sure what happened.
1: Well, I know Vanda is one of our sponsors, and they did a wonderful presentation Thursday afternoon, and we really appreciate their support. Shauna, we'll wait another second or two.
7: Hold on. I found her. She was on the attendee <laughs> side, so oh, okay. let's we'll see. Here she comes. Hi,
6: I'm here. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Okay, yes, this is like troubleshooting. I've been um, emailing Rick and Katie, Sheila, each of you hoping. um, Um, I had to join a different way. So I was told to raise my hand on it. I was like, somebody's going to pick up on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here.
6: Yes. Thank thank you. Thank you for the introduction. And I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, And Thankful for myself representing Vanda to be a sponsor for FCB. I'm happy to be here and was uh, very appreciative of the opportunity on Thursday evening to have a more in-depth discussion on non-24 that Katie and Sheila both um, set up for me. Uh, It was very informative, um, provided more background on what's happening inside of our body that causes the symptoms of non-24 for those who were not able to listen in, uh, but would like to learn more about non-24, I'd be happy to provide any education or answer questions regarding non-24, even on a one-on-one call. So at any point, I'm not sure Sheila or Katie, if they're able to get in touch with you to pass along that information, um, similar to what we did on Thursday night. Um, But just to give a little background, Um, I'm a nurse educator, and what our role is is to go out into the community and be able to increase awareness on the condition non-24, NON-24, because it's a very rare condition that affects mainly individuals who are totally blind, but also those with any type of vision impairment can develop non-24. So the three main symptoms of non-24 is difficulty falling asleep, difficulty getting a full night's sleep, or feeling really drowsy taking naps during the day. Those are the three main symptoms, but you don't have to have all three symptoms. And there may be some days and nights where you don't have any symptoms at all, meaning you don't have any difficulty sleeping or staying awake. The symptoms of non-24 are very erratic. I describe it like a roller coaster. So if you have that erratic sleeping pattern, then it may, and you have any type of vision impairment, It may be something that you want to start researching, learning more about. Some facts about non-24. When you hear our radio ads or our TV ads, the first question that we ask is, are you totally blind? Because it affects up to 70%, seven zero percent of individuals who are totally blind. But you can have some light perception and still develop non-24. It affects both men and women equally at any age, And the symptoms of non-24 are generally first noticed around the time an individual starts to lose their vision. And sleep troubles can worsen if your vision worsens. So those are a few facts there. Um, Through our educational discussions in a setting like we did Thursday night or how each of us nurse educators, we live around the country, um, we're able to come to each of your support groups or annual events. And provide this education on a little bit deeper level. So if we have not presented to your chapter group, or if you're interested in learning one-on-one, please get in touch with me. Uh, My contact number is 202-538-0396. Or if it's okay that you get in touch with me through Sheila or Katie, if that works better via email, and I'd be more than happy to point you in the right direction to get set up with one of our health educators, and or if you have a specific question for me that I can answer um, one-on-one. So I appreciate being a part of this virtually. This is definitely an adjustment for all of us, um, but we, we do what we can under the circumstances and I'm happy to be a part of it Thursday and this morning. Thank y'all.
1: Thank you, Shauna, very much. And thank you for your support. Sure. Now at this point in our normal meeting, we would be talking about constitutional amendments. (laughs) But unfortunately, we can't do that this year. So I know we're running a little bit ahead of time, but I am so thrilled about our program this morning. Um I can't thank our convention committee enough for what they've done to put this weekend together. It was a pretty quick turnaround, quick decisions made, but I think yesterday was a wonderful day and today's even going to be as good. we are very, very honored and pleased to have all of our ACB presidents and one of our formal, former FCB and ACB presidents is going to be moderating this uh, session. So without any further ado, as they say, Paul Edwards, thank you so much and go ahead.
2: Thanks, Sheila. Um, I don't know how many of us are here But Rick, what I'd like to do is keep everybody open. So let's begin by doing a roll call, starting from most recent. Dan Spoon, are you with us? Yes,
8: Paul, glad to be here today.
7: Excellent. Hey Paul, Paul, if I could just jump in for a quick second. I think some of the folks are on the attendee side. So if there's any of the past presidents that are here, um, could you kindly raise your hand if you dialed in on a telephone, please? Okay, there's one.
2: Now I know Kim's here, Miss Kim, you're here.
3: I am, sir.
2: Again, you if, so if you're
7: a past president and you're okay. dialed in on the telephone, please raise your hand and I'll I'll open up your. I
2: Can't mic. tell okay. you guys how scary this presentation is for me. Um, <laughs> ever since ever since I knew I was going to do it, um, it's been it's been keeping me awake at night, and I have no idea how it's going to work out. What we're going to try to do is kind of do a a colloquy among us. It's not going to be a um, it's not going to be a talking heads presentation. We're going to try to explore what it really is like to be president of the American Council of the Blind. So, so far, we know we have uh, Kim and Mitch. Uh, Do we have, uh, sorry, Kim and uh, Dan, Uh, do we have Mitch yet? Chris is here.
0: Uh, Mitch needs to be pulled over from the attendee side, Rick. 4388.
9: Uh, Mr. Gray, you are here? Hold on. Yes, sir. Hopefully I can be heard. You can
10: yes. Thank you very can hear much you. for being
9: here.
7: Uh, Four three eight one. eight. Mitch, you're uh, you should be able to. Uh, your mic is open, so
11: uh, can you hear me? We can. Yes. Welcome. All right, I am here. Uh, good morning. He good, says, very uh, early morning.
12: He's uh, Very uh, alert. Here, yes.
11: Really Got <laughs> <Yeah>. yeah. <laughs> my coffee next to me.
2: So, likewise. <laughs> the next, the next president in order is moi, and I am here. And the last president on our list is Oral Miller. Oral, are you here?
0: I'm going to check, see if I can get him. So if you you guys will proceed, then I will let you know. We will.
2: So it it really is an interesting question for me, at least, uh, what the role of the ACB president actually is and perhaps how it's changed over time. I know that when I was president, I at least perceived the role um, that, that I had as ACB president is very different from uh, the role today. So let, let's just for fun start with Dan, who's our newest person. Dan, w- what do you see the role of the ACB president as? Well,
8: of course, you are the, the overall leader of the organization. Uh, you are you know, definitely the person responsible for conducting our conducting our ACB board of director meetings. Uh, you you have the responsibility of pulling all the committees together. But, but I think we really, uh, in a leadership role, you're almost the communicator in chief at this point in time. And I think where it has changed a little bit due to the work of a lot of my predecessors that are on this panel, we were able to really get to a point of financial stability that we did not have Uh, a while back and what that has allowed us to do is hire more and more extremely qualified staff over the last few years, uh, which then I think has precipitated kind of giving them a little more responsibility in the leadership process. So we have a very strong executive director with Eric Bridges and a really uh, excellent staff that we'll talk about I think with Katie and I in the next presentation. And so uh, it's it's an evolving um, it's an evolving journey, and I'll say as time has gone on, like most service organizations, uh, ACB's membership is getting uh, a little bit older each year, and um, and the membership is kind of slowing down. And so in that natural transition of service organizations. How do we evolve from a truly, truly 100% membership-driven organization to one where we're now asking and requiring the staff to carry more of the load? So it is a transition, an evolution, as I like to
2: say, and uh, we're trying to negotiate those waters. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Chris, what would you add to the role of the president?
9: Well, well, that's that's a great question, you know, because it's, it's – uh, I think that role has evolved over time. Certainly, I viewed it, and to a degree still do, but I viewed it as a place where I could create a direct relationship between the staff of the organization and the membership of the organization. (coughs) For such a long time, there was this idea that there was was staff and then there was everybody else. And uh, I, I, I felt that was not productive, not good for ACB, and uh, it, it's an issue which has fairly much gone away today as I see it. The other thing I believe the president can and should do is create a, uh, a vision for ACB. We know, of course, ACB is, is democratic in nature, that uh, the membership the most important element of ACB as opposed to the elected leadership or the president. But uh, what what ACB can become is in large part due to the vision the president brings to it. And I tried very hard to create in my mind and imbue in the minds of of others the vision that I had for for ACB. Thanks, Chris. Mitch, what do you think?
11: Well, the first thing to say about about my time as presidency is that it was a twenty four seven job. Mm-hmm. Um, this this uh, <laughs> I very
13: was true, on some conference.
11: True. I was on conference calls at four o'clock in the morning a couple of times. Yeah, all of us but, <laughs> but but to to piggyback on what Dan said, um, not for profits, uh, whether they are membership driven or not, uh, are perforce, uh, having to professionalize their operations. And uh, I spent a good deal of time uh, working on, on a transition, what I felt uh, the organization had been for many years, being a grassroots organization, uh, relying primarily on its members to uh, looking at the need to put more Emphasis on staff. Now, unfortunately, there wasn't a whole lot of staff. Um, You know, the first couple of years of my presidency, our finances were pretty good, but uh, then they took a downturn as the you know nation's economy did around 2008-2009. So, um, a lot of what I wanted to do in terms of bringing on more staff, we were unable to do because of our situation. But beyond that, I wanted to try and bring folks together. Uh, we represent different perspectives on what the organization should be, how it, how it should be uh, managed, what it should do. And so I, I tried very diligently to bring in folks with different perspectives. I tried to uh, encourage folks who had never been involved on a committee, had never even considered being involved in the national organization. Maybe they were involved on the state level or the local level and and encouraged them to get involved. So I was trying to encourage the membership to be more involved while at the same time recognizing that we needed to take a more professional approach to how we uh, handled advocacy uh, certainly with with Eric there. That that certainly was uh, was a positive. But but we also needed to recognize that uh, you know the future was fast approaching us, and and uh, a change in how the organization functioned was was required.
10: Ms. Kim,
3: yes, thank you, Paul. Um, I think that that my era as president of ACB was was different in several ways and part of that was first of all the um the the fact that and, and this is something that i didn't necessarily think about a lot but in fact it did have a large impact on the organization was the fact that i was the first woman president of the organization and for me it didn't always matter but it did have a large and positive impact on the organization overall, the membership were excited. Um, the, the blindness community was excited to see um, the glass ceiling break at that point and have a woman um, in a position of leadership, uh, the first woman president of any blindness consumer advocacy organization. And so that was a role that was important and a leadership role that, that I took very seriously. So that opened up a lot of opportunities for me to um to share to to lead and to mentor and be a role model for many in the organization and to open up some opportunities to engage new people more people in areas to serve as volunteers within the organization so in that respect um, that was that was unique Um, I believe also that, that um, I also believed in, in kind of the same philosophy as Mitch did, that we were we were at a, a turning point with respect to our organization and that we, we do so much with our volunteer base of our membership. But we really were needing to rely on our staff organization, you know our staff to, to take on more of the day-to-day responsibility of of the organization. And so I was very, very um, excited to have the opportunity to lead the, um, the search and to bring on Eric Bridges as our executive director. I felt that that was a new direction and a new leadership generation for our organization. And in fact, that's been, I feel good for our organization. And he has in turn brought on what I believe is a new generation of staff leadership within our organization. Younger leaders, dynamic, energetic leaders who who give their all to this organization. Um, they still may be a small staff, but they're mighty and they do many great things for our organization. And we need that strength within our organization to get the things done because no matter how we how we look at it when uh, the end of the day comes the membership are still volunteers and we have other things we do with our lives jobs families and other things and we need our staff to make sure that the day-to-day activities and the ongoing operation of our organization is going to continue going to strengthen and going to grow for ACB. So that's a major, major area where I think um, my time as president was different. And I am incredibly grateful that um, when I when I came in as president, um, a lot of people said, why do you want to be president now? Look how terrible ACB's finances are. <laughs> and I said, they can only get better. And, <laughs> and I was right, they did get better. And uh, we did, you know, with a lot of work from a lot of people, we we pulled out and we worked strategically to come out of a difficult situation because of the economy and um, really strengthened ACB's um, finances in a lot of different ways. Um, Got our thrift stores back on track, um, established an endowment fund for ACB, did a lot of things to get our organization financially on track, strengthened our staff. Um, so, in that area, I think it's it. Um, we really are uh, moving forward in a very, very positive direction.
2: Um, in for the sake of full disclosure, I should probably talk a little bit about uh, my my view of the role of president. And um, I was in an interesting situation because I took over right after we had adopted our first long range plan, and. Uh, my predecessor, uh, Leroy Saunders, was very quick to tell me, "Well, we've adopted it now. You get to implement it." Um, <laughs> Welcome. And of course, exactly. <laughs> and of course, it was not. Uh, it was not an easy exercise because our long-range plan made some proposals that that were fundamentally different from those that had operated in ACB before. I'm not sure that folks nowadays remember the degree to which, uh, at the time when I became president, there was a divide between those folks who felt like the board of directors and the state affiliates in particular ought to categorically control the organization, and that we ought not to give very much power at all uh, to the person who was our, quote, national representative, please note, until that long-range plan, not an executive director. Um, but a national representative. So I saw I saw my role as ACB president at that point is trying to go beyond um, trying to go beyond simply implementing the plan. And we and we had all kinds of stumbling blocks uh, in terms of implementing that plan. And, 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 and Mitch helped me with some of those. Um, and, and, and we still really didn't get past them in terms of trying to figure out the relationship that ought to exist between state affiliates special interest affiliates, the national office, the board of directors. Um, and those are really still hard decisions that, that, that I'm not sure we've ever come from. But one of the things that I saw as my role as president and, and uh, was trying to define ACB for itself. And a lot of the president's messages I wrote tried to explore how we compared with the National Federation of the Blind, how our approaches were different, um, what we did um, that was different, uh, I think there were lots of shortcomings of my presidency, but, but, but I think one of the things that I tried to do well, and I think for, for the most part succeeded, was, was to get folks to think about who we are and what we stood for. Um, and, and, and I at least perceived myself as someone who tried to communicate uh, what, what ACB was like. And by the way, I've, I've got to say I could not have been anywhere near as successful uh, as I was, were it not for my first vice president, Brian Charlson. Um, he was an absolutely central and pivotal person um, in, in our organization. We spent a lot of time over and above, o- over and above the, the, the time that we interacted with the board, um, actually operating uh, together, trying, trying to plan next steps. Uh, and, and I, I cannot, I cannot tell you how much I owe Brian Charlson. Um My presidency wouldn't have been half of what it was had it not been for him. So, all right, I have another question for folks. Is Oral here yet? No. All right. The, no, so, he's not, so Paul. I, so I am now the old, uh, the oldest um, surviving president. This is a scary <laughs> thing. Um, so, my my next question is a little different. Is there a difference? in the role of an officer in ACB and the role of a board of directors member. And let's start with Chris. Christopher, is there
9: a difference between
2: the role of an officer on the board of ACB and the role of a member of the board of
9: directors? Am I here now?
2: Yes, you're here now.
9: Okay, sorry about that. I believe there is a difference. I think that uh, every member of the board, of course, is is important. But if you choose to become an officer of ACB, what you're really saying is I'm going to step up in a way that no one else <clears throat> has done, and I'm going to take on additional responsibilities. I'm going to put ACB as a more focal part of my life, even than, than a board of director member. And uh, certainly <clears throat> when I was president, we had a situation where officers uh, each had a series of committees for whom they were responsible. Um, the way I see things today, that role has extended to the directors of, of board, and I think that's a positive thing. But there's no doubt in my mind that officers have a special role, a, a key pivotal role, and it, it's their responsibility to exercise a greater degree of leadership, to have a greater degree of vision for what ACB is and what we can become and uh, really make ACB a focal point of, of uh, their their lives. Thank you, Chris. Um, Ms. Kim?
3: Well, I would, I would absolutely agree with Chris. Um, it's an interesting question for me to respond to because I, I never served as a board member on the ACB board. Um, I believe Dan, of course, did, and Mitch did, and Chris did. Um, before they stepped into um, officer positions, so and I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but I, I agree with what what Chris said. I think um, I think that when you become an officer, you you make a commitment that you are um, you are becoming um, a leader, and you are accepting a higher degree of leadership commitment, your investment in the organization is is at a higher level um you get up at 5 a.m to be on panels things like that (laughs) because that's just an expectation that you meet because that's part of of being a leader in an organization you 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 perform at a higher level to meet that expectation
2: thank you dan
3: Yes, there's uh,
8: definitely a difference, uh, having had an opportunity to serve in, in all three roles. Uh, I, do, um, I do believe as you kind of, well, of course, for our officer roles, if you're a treasurer, if you're a secretary, there's very prescriptive uh, duties that you have to, you have to perform. And then for our first and second vice president, there's that whole succession planning, which is really important. And, and as a president, you've got to keep those folks informed uh, so they can move into the position uh, if something was, was was to happen to yourself. Uh, so there's a role there. And I, I will say, of all the officers, I think the immediate past president is probably the most important role in our organization as an officer, because you really are helping transition a new leader into the role as president um, and that's that's invaluable of, I think all of us have kind of had to go through that and and I will echo that you know I thought I was working hard as a board member and I thought it was working even h- harder as first vice president but it it's an exponential leap to become president so uh, and you know, I haven't had my first convention yet, so I feel like, uh, you know, it's been an exciting 10 months so far. Excellent. Mitch?
11: Yes, uh, Paul, let me, let me first jump back to, uh, to a point you made during your, your uh, earlier statement. I, was, I remember being approached during your presidency by a longtime ACB member, um, one of the founders, in fact, who said, this organization is getting too big. We're getting away from grassroots, and and so I think that was a lot of what you were dealing with. There were people who really didn't Absolutely. think the organization should get much bigger, but but to to, to this to this point, um, your officers are your right hand, your left hand, um, sometimes your right and left legs, and sometimes your right <laughs> and left brains. Um, you know, I'm I'm proud that. Um, when I was running, uh, when I made the decision to run, and uh, after a lot of thinking, I asked Kim if she would run uh, for first vice president, even though she hadn't served uh, in, a, in a board position. Uh, I relied a great deal on, on Kim and certainly the other, other officers, and particularly um, a lady who um, was a friend and who helped me out of a lot of jams when I didn't take the best notes in the world, and that was Marlena Lieberg, who was my secretary for, for my term. Um, you rely on your officers, at least if you are uh, a conscientious president. Uh, you know you can't do everything. You can't remember everything. You can't be in all places at all times. So you need to have a strong uh, officer corps because they really are an extension of your role as president. And I was, I was pleased, I was proud, and honored to have a tremendous officer corps during my six years as president.
2: Thanks, Mitch. So, uh, from my perspective, I think there there ought to be a huge difference between officers and members of the Board of Directors. I, I, I grew up at least to a degree in love with the British system. So in a sense with cabinet government and, and I very much saw uh, my officers and by extension incidentally uh, an, an entity that's <clears throat> used these days, but that I use quite a lot during my presidency, the executive committee. Um, I, I, I saw those as, as kind of uh, similar to the British cabinet system. And, and I think officers had a responsibility to, to, to the administration more broadly uh, and, and, and to the to the position that the administration uh, under the leadership of the president was taking. And if there was a fundamental disagreement uh, that an officer had um, with the position that the president was taking, it was at least my view in those days that that, that person ought to seriously think about not being there anymore. Because we ought to be, and 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 at least I perceived our officers as kind of the core leadership council that operated at the heart of of ACB's policy development. In in my day, the board of directors was a much indentious and rambunctious group um, than it is now. Um, I, I I very clearly remember the very first in-person board meeting. Uh, that, that I presided over, uh, we got to a particular place and I said, let's take a break. And I ran out of the room and I ran down the hall and and I just stood there crying my eyes out saying, I can't do this. I, I just can't. I I cannot. I I, I I cannot operate with this with this kind of disaffection. But I guess the question that I'm going to run around you guys a little bit more is, do the board do, do the board members have a responsibility to the membership um, that involves holding the officers accountable? And, and, and let's start with Mitch.
11: Paul. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Paul. Mm. <laughs> 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 um, I, I honestly have had never thought of uh, uh, their role uh, as, as holding The uh, the uh, officers accountable. I mean, firstly, I happen to to to, uh, as a as a political science major in college. I uh, I also uh, like the parliamentary system uh, in some ways over over what we've got here and now. But um, I I honestly think that board members are really um, interning. They're really. It, it takes them a while to get their feet on the ground and to begin to to understand the bigger issues um, A lot of folks get elected to the board because they have an interest in in one issue and and I know that during my time I had conversations with with uh, more than one board member who, may have been an expert on technology or may have been an expert on braille. And I said, if you're going to move up in this organization, if you have any aspirations of higher office, you need to become more of a, of a Jack or Jill of all traits. You need to, to really understand, uh, the broader scope of the American council of the blind. So, um, i'm I'm not I don't know that I disagree paul i I just have, haven't hadn't thought of it in that in that capacity I think that beyond board members beginning to learn the ropes even though they they perhaps were president uh, of their own state affiliates um, I think that we're so we're such a disparate group uh, the only thing that that most of us have in common is we're blind or visually impaired but I don't know that. That they necessarily have a responsibility to, to you know, <laughs> say to a say to a, a, a first vice president or a, a treasurer, you know, you're you're not you're not doing uh, as much for the organization as you should because I'm not sure they they necessarily know that. I, I see it more as a uh, as a as a maybe a, a masters or a Ph.D. program. Uh, in in leadership in the organization, I think I think that's how I see the responsibilities, and 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 certainly the the, the board members have a major responsibility to be available to the membership. Um, hopefully, they have a little more time to do that, and maybe their role is more uh, of a of a conduit uh, between membership and 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 the. Frequently overextended officer corps, um, so I think that's more how I see uh, uh, the the cadre of the of the board board members.
2: So, Chris, is there a special role that 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 a board member ought to play on our board, Mister Gray? We'll come back to Chris in a minute,
9: Kim. Well, what's going on here? There's
2: Chris. You Chris. Are. We've got Chris. you. All right, Chris. Oh, is sorry. is there a special role for board members?
9: Well, <clears throat> I I never viewed my role uh, when I was a board member as as uh, holding sway over an opinion about officers. I mean, not that I didn't have my opinions about other members, but, but my role wasn't really to, to worry about what other people did, to worry about what I did. And I felt that first and foremost, I was representing the membership who elected me to the board of directors. Uh, I was a young <clears throat> board member, uh, first of all, uh, Brian and I were the two youngest members ever elected to the board back in the day. (laughs) And uh, I felt great responsibility to the profession that I was in, that I was in a profession to represent that to the board and that uh, to represent the people of the states, various states where I lived. And and, uh, in terms of other board members, I felt that the membership would decide if those members were acting appropriately and and uh, judiciously or not. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thanks, Paul. Yeah, I think it really
8: goes down even more one level down, and and that is that the membership needs to hold the board accountable. If you get elected to a board position, you need to know that you you take that on with your your eyes wide open that you are. A uh, you, know, you have fiduciary responsibilities, you have policy responsibilities, and as uh, Brian and, and, and uh, Paul and Kim and you, Paul, shared with me the first time I became a board member in Ohio in 2012 at the fall board meeting, you were never not an ACB board member while you're serving. So everything you say and do reflects on the organization, and I think that's very important to keep that in mind. And then you're right. It, it is a job to to take that, that responsibility very seriously. What I've tried to do as an ACB president, we've uh, you know, if I look at the decision we had to make to go to a virtual convention. First, we had to decide very quickly. Things moved so fast for between March, May, May, excuse me, March 8th and March 30th, that we had to have an executive committee meeting, which we weren't had. I think it might have been the first one we've had in a few administrations, uh, with the additional officers, just to get consensus and support to move forward with the virtual convention. And then I reached out and spoke to every board member because I thought it was really important. That we have a unified voice uh, as as the leadership of the American Council of the Blind. And so at that particular board meeting, we even had every board member go, officer and board member go around and state why this was the right thing to do for the organization. And I think when you empower your board members, then you have a much stronger board. And so I've, I've learned that some from my predecessors. And and I do think we all have to keep holding each other accountable and pushing that, uh, pushing us to do be the best that we can be for ACB.
2: Thank you, Dan. Kim, do board members have a special role?
3: Well, I think we all have a special role, but I I would I would challenge that that we all have to be accountable. And I think my position is that every board member is responsible for accountability and transparency. I think that was one of the important things that I really um, believe in, that I want to have our organization be as transparent as we can to the membership and to make sure that that we we try to be as clear and open um, in, in what we do and explain and that there be a channel of communication that, that members feel they can talk to us um, I, I can't say how many times people have been surprised when um, I will call them back and talk to them um, because that you're calling me back. And it's like, <laughs> oh, of course, I'm calling you back. You know, I'm sorry, it took me a few days, you know, but I did. And, you know, everyone deserves to have a call back and, and communication. That's also important. But I really believe that everyone who serves on the board is accountable to that it, that whole body and we we have to be accountable to each other as well and have you when guys they... found oh, i'm sorry have you all found that to me
8: you kind of with your board find find what they're really good and passionate at and and try to engage them in that and then it makes them feel feel
2: absolutely. a part of the team absolutely. you
9: have to do that yes
2: absolutely yeah.
9: When the American
2: Council of the Blind was formed in, in 1961, uh, it, it, it was formed as a response uh, to the National Federation of the Blind that had developed a top-down approach to governance. And that top-down approach essentially uh, took power away from the board of directors and kept power in the hands of officers and to a, to a very large degree disenfranchised the state affiliates Uh, As well. So, by the time that I became president, we had gone through our first long range plan. And I think that one of the things that uh, had come out of that long range plan was a recognition that there were still a lot of our members who were really uncomfortable uh, with ceding power either to an executive director uh, or to the president of the organization. I believe that at least at the time when I was president, the board of directors perceived that they had a role uh, to represent the membership uh, and to challenge what we as officers were trying to do. So during my presidency, there were an, an awful lot of pretty contentious board meetings. Um, so I guess I guess I grew up, and I'll, and I'll just put it on the table, with a rather different notion of the role of a board of directors person than the role that you guys are describing in, in that I truly believe that they were a bridge between the membership and the officers, certainly, and I, and I recognize that. I get the apprenticeship part, I get all of that. But, but I think they also, at least as I perceived it, were being elected because the perception was that they brought to the board a capacity as, members of the entity that had fiduciary responsibility for the organization to challenge, if needed, um, what the officers were doing and what the leadership was doing. Because I think a core value of ACB, at least at the time when I became president, was this balance between how much power the organization was prepared to give to the leadership uh, and how much power they wanted to retain for state affiliates the convention and board members. So, I guess my view is a little different from you guys. Does anybody want to want to comment on that notion?
3: Yeah,
11: I, Paul, I, I would.
3: Paul, I do, go. Paul, um, Paul then can talk after. Okay. I speak.
11: go ahead, Kim.
3: Okay. Um, I I I hear what you're saying, and um, I'm I'm going to say that that I'm I'm hoping that that time has has taught us some lessons. As an organization, because I'm hoping that um, that we've learned that there there are things in our organization that are more important than power. That we should be looking toward the 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 purpose that I think ACB is all about, and that is how to empower people who are blind and visually impaired in this country to have the role and to live the lives that that they want to live and not be worrying about who has more power than someone else. So my my hope and my goal for ACB is to see an organization that can be strong at the national level, that can recognize that it is comprised of state affiliates that have the authority and autonomy within their states to do what they need to do to be strong in their states, but that they belong to a national organization that has a, a focused and organized mission and goal to empower um, and work toward what's best for blind people in this country and across the globe. And that's, that's kind of my global view of where I think I'd like to see. ACB, and I'm hoping ACB is moving.
11: Mitch. Paul, during, during your time as president, and I attended a lot of those board meetings, because we were established in reaction to how the National Federation of the Blind operated, there was that mistrust. There was this, this feeling among so many members at that time that uh, we don't want to go back to the way uh, things were in the Federation, and that um, a, a president uh, with too much power or an executive director with too much power uh, was reminiscent of, of, what, of what they left. I think that, that what has – and let me say first that I think sadly some of that mistrust still exists um, I went to, I think 17 or 18 state conventions, state, uh, different state conventions, including Florida. And, uh, I, I think that, that even to this day, there are, there are some states, some affiliates that, um, kind of see an us versus them, uh, attitude or hold that attitude and and maybe maybe it's a, it's kind of um, a mirror image of of what we what we see in this country um, in a lot of places. Uh, it's it's us on a state level, and we're fighting against uh, against the big bad federal government kind of thing. And and so you know, I always say we're a microcosm of society as as blind people. So. But I think that that overall um, you know with the work of of most of us, all of us on this panel, we have worked very hard to um kind of mitigate the the mistrust and that natural feeling of well, you know. Politics and everything else is local, and I'll deal with it on my level. And you know, you leave us alone, kind of, kind of approach. I think we've worked very hard to um, close that that perceptual gap. We're not entirely successful. We may never be entirely successful, but that's certainly, I think, what what we in leadership uh, have a responsibility to try and accomplish. And I think. I think things have gotten better. Paul, you talked about the contentious board meetings. Um, I have to say that that during my my time in office, we had very little of that. We certainly had disagreements, but um, you know, my mantra was always: "We can agree. um, We can disagree agreeably." And and I think for the most part that that worked and. Uh, I, I don't recall um, as immediate past president seeing too much contention on Kim's board. Um, so so I think I think we've made some strides, but there really is that that natural um, mistrust uh, of any kind of authority that that we have a responsibility to try and deal with. Chris, do you want to add anything about the origins
2: having an impact on where we are?
9: no i think i'm good i would just say that uh, i very much share kim's vision and hope that we have slowly slowly found our way out of those kinds of contentions
2: so the next question that i'd like us to explore uh, is a, is a negative one uh, and and i hope we can we we can we can all be pretty candid about it uh, because I if if we're honest I think there's something uh, there's something that was left undone or something that we really wanted to do that we weren't able to um, so and I really can't ask Dan so Dan you get a you get a buy for this one okay but what what during your presidency would you like to have accomplished but didn't Kim
3: well um, I I actually do think about this often and the, the one area where I really wish I could have made a stronger impact and had more of an impact is in the area of membership growth and development. Um, there were just so many areas where I had to focus um, with the financial issues. Um, I didn't have enough bandwidth and to work in the area of membership growth and development it's something that that you know I'm particularly interested in and have always been interested in and I feel that it's a, a critical part of of ACB's future to grow there's so many people out there who need to know about the organization and I am delighted and thrilled that we were able to hire um, Cindy Van Winkle recently, last June, in fact, when she came on board, um, so it was just just barely at the the very very end of my term of as president. Um, she came on board as our membership services coordinator, um, and now that we have somebody who's focusing in that area, um, I think we've already seen some major major progress in that area with um, outreach and programs and projects targeted at membership support and affiliate support and leadership support that I think will, will pay dividends on helping to support the leaders of our affiliates and support membership growth in the future. So I'm really excited about that.
11: Mitch. Well, uh, I became president of, um, Less than six months before the Great Recession, and when I when I took office, I had a goal of uh, our budget, I think at the time, was slightly over a million dollars. My goal was to see that increased by two and a half to three times. Um, we never came close. In fact, I think the budget the first year, first two years, I don't think we ever... Achieved that level uh, during my final four years, uh, so that certainly was was something that uh, uh, was not <laughs> was not part of my my list of of accomplishments as president. But the other thing the other thing that that really started during my presidency um, was the establishment. Of our of our advisory board, and while we we started it, while we uh, got it passed via uh, uh, amendment to our constitution to establish a an advisory board of of outside individuals with with particular expertise, uh, it really never got off the ground. Um, we did a lot of a lot of. Um, Activity. We, we made a lot of efforts, called a lot of people, sent a lot of emails trying to get uh, a, uh, a group of folks who had expertise in, in areas like fundraising and, and uh, resource management and, and uh, public relations and all of that uh, to advise the, the board of directors. But we really uh, never succeeded, and and I can I can say that with with a with some satisfaction that now, thanks to uh, uh, Kim's efforts, Dan's efforts over the last couple of years, uh, that advisory board concept is more than just on paper, because it was something I really believed in. Um, you know, typically while we have members with with uh, a great deal of expertise we don't have a lot of uh, corporate executives we don't have a lot of uh, uh, investment managers although we we have a couple but we we really had some some gaps in our uh, knowledge in our expertise and that was the whole point behind establishing the advisory board and while uh, we at least got it down on paper and got it institutionalized. Um, it really never took off. And I'm, I'm really pleased that the last couple of years, it's beginning to take off. And, you know, I recall board meetings where, uh, where, uh, Dan always knew what I was going to uh, bring up at some point during the board meeting. That's right, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so so that was that was probably the thing uh, over and above the uh, the economics, but over and above uh, over and above that during my administration that that uh, it, it just never quite got off the ground, and and thankfully it it has gotten off the ground today,
9: Chris three things come to my mind that i'll mention as briefly as i can <clears throat> i had hoped and campaigned on the idea of trying to do something to help blind people in the area of technology computer accessibility etc cetera, etc cetera. it's kind of my field and so forth um I, I think it's fair to say that little or nothing had changed in that area <laughs> when i left the presidency of, A, of acb <clears throat> and that's it's still very much an evolving area for us. Um, I felt that when I left the presidency, uh, we had gone through a a really difficult situation when we lost Jim Olson as our CFO. We didn't really find a suitable replacement. We tried various things. We, We were not finding success and had only really in the last 10 months or so of my presidency found Lane Waters and at the very same time, near that time, found and hired Eric Bridges. Um, I would love to have had a chance as president to work more with them, but I felt I left the organization uh, uh, with a very skeletal and, to some extent, untrained uh, staff, certainly staff that needed to really work to get their feet on the ground. The third thing is a happier story. I had put a lot of time and energy starting really in 2006, into the whole idea of audio description and ACB having what we call today the audio description project. And Mitch, I want to acknowledge you and thank you. I know of immediate past presidents or facilitators and helping the new president, but uh, Mitch really stepped up and said, "I know you wanted to do this. See what yes, you can sir. do. See what you can do to create the ADP." And it was a long process. We had a lot of Rough board meetings about it, a lot of conversations. but Didn't have a lot of money either. Uh, <laughs> have a lot of money. <laughs> that was probably the biggest problem. But you know what? We actually got it started, and even though I walked away from the presidency feeling unhappy that we hadn't gotten further, by the time I left the immediate past president position, ACB was on the map. We haven't just been on the map. We're the absolute world leaders in this area in in the field of blindness
2: cool so let me talk about three quick things that that i think i was sorry at the end of my presidency that we didn't accomplish um one of them is probably heretical as it as it uh as it operates with the beginnings of acb i really tried during my administration to build a better relationship with the national federation of the blind and tried to persuade them that on most issues we, we, we actually could legitimately and appropriately support uh, the same kind of uh, approaches and that working together as two strong blindness organizations, we would be a lot more capable of getting things done at the national level During the last year of my presidency, all of that fell apart for a variety of reasons that I won't go into now. But essentially, we spent the last year of my presidency, and a good deal of Chris's, uh, almost at war with the Federation. And I think that's one of the things I regret. The second thing is my strengths, I I think, uh, lay with being able to theorize and talk about who ACB was. Uh, but I think in terms of the, the day-to-day stuff, um, trying to juggle uh, all, all the work that I had to do working full-time, all the work that I had to do uh, being ACB president, and all the work that I had to do uh, putting out fires hither, thither, and yon uh, was, was very difficult for me. And I think a lot of the day-to-day stuff uh, ended up falling on Brian's shoulders, and he did an excellent job with them. But but I think my my chief regret is that I wasn't better uh, at at day to day operations and and at juggling my time. Now of course in retrospect I I, I would have said 2005 that I devoted a lot too much time to ACB and not nearly enough time to Gale. But that's a different <laughs> issue. And I think the third thing um, that I regret about about my organization is that I think we were we were at a place where we were beginning to be perceived um, at the national level as an organization who ought to be listened to we were We were directly uh fighting with uh, rsa we We were directly uh, working on uh, trying to create a minimum wage situation for uh, everybody who was vanilla blind and for almost everybody who wasn't uh, in in the workshop system and we wanted to try. Uh, to to build a place for ACB as a place that, that while it certainly was prepared to work with others, was also prepared to be pretty pushy as a consumer organization um, who could tell folks what to do. And I'm sorry that we, that we didn't get further with some of that stuff.
8: All right. So Paul, it's Dan, Uh, Dan, if I just uh, on the previous question on our whole, you know, legacy of, of NFB, I just wanted to make a few comments there related to what's happened over the last three or four months with the COVID-19 virus. And and sometimes there's silver linings in in these terrible things that happen uh, to us in in civilization. And one, I think, Mm -hmm. is due to COVID-19, what we're really seeing is the value of the national organization back to our state and special interest affiliates. So things like our ACB radio team being able to provide this virtual, help facilitate this virtual convention for Florida Council of the Blind. The community chats that have sprung up where we're now doing 40 of those a week and involving members that really had not had an active voice inside of our organization. the code of conduct that we worked to pass over the last couple of administrations that's now being adopted by state affiliates are our core values of integrity and honesty, respect, collaboration, flexibility, and initiative that are now being uh, adopted at the state level. So I think we're really starting to see the fruit of all of your all's labors of, of having that more collaborative uh, organization between the national, state, and special interest le- uh, levels. I want to thank you all for kind of laying the foundation for that, and I think we're starting to see the fruits of those labors.
2: Well, I have about 215 more questions, so if it's okay <laughs> with you guys, we will talk until uh, about 11:30. Um, but since folks won't let us do that, what I think we ought to do in the last 12 minutes that we have is Rick to open it up for some questions, if there are some
7: sure certainly if you'd like to ask a question please raise your hand alt y on the computer keyboard if you are on if you dialed in on a telephone it is star nine and if you've got the iphone app listening to us through the iphone app there's a raise hand button in the middle of the screen there for you just tap on that so we'll wait to see here if we've got some hands raised if not i have lots more questions so far so far none paul Maybe everybody's still asleep. I think you you kind of sp- sprung in on everybody.
1: Paul, <laughs> <laughs> oh, another 10. Sheila. Oh, yeah, she. Sheila, go ahead. I want to thank each and every one of you for being here this morning. I, I, I want to get that in before we run out of time. Um, this has been extremely enjoyable. What I would like to ask is where do you see the future of ACB with this being the year of vision? So, whoever would like to answer that, I would love to hear your answer.
2: Let's start with Mitch.
11: Oh joy! <laughs> oh joy, oh joy! I think that, and and I and people have heard me say this for for years and years and years. But the overall national trend has been a decline in volunteerism, and you know I hope that some of the things that uh, that Dan and, and Eric and, and Cindy have have begun, uh, will turn that around in ACB. But because of that trend, uh, I believe that we need to have a truly professional uh, uh, group of folks working out of our Virginia and, and Minnesota offices to deal with those day-to-day kinds of things that, that Paul talked about. I I understand completely uh, about having to uh, juggle a job, at least for the first couple of years of my administration, and and the responsibilities of, of ACB. So um, I think that we hopefully will continue to, uh, if finances allow, bring – on-board staff who can deal with the day-to-day kinds of things and, and also um, help the uh, board of directors and the president uh, chart uh, at least a direction for the course that we need to take. Um, I think that what ultimately may happen with an ACB is, is that we're going to see a rise in regional affiliates, maybe a few less state affiliates for one reason or another. Um, uh, you know, we're getting older and all of that, but I, I do believe that A.C.B. you know has uh, really come on stage. You know, I said during my time that that we need to be recognized. We need to make sure that people understand that we're a player in the blindness arena. And I think that has happened over the last decade plus. And we need to continue to uh, to, to take that approach, continue to be active um, with, state or with state with with the national activities around blindness we need to continue to be active in wbu Um, i'm pleased to say that uh, beginning next year uh, kim will be our regional president for the north america caribbean region so basically what we need to do is as we used to say in the 60s we need to keep on keeping on doing what we're what we're doing in the in the course that that uh, all of us have uh, have charted over the uh, the last uh, uh,
2: decades. Thank you Mitch and thanks for being here. Dan you get to answer this one.
8: Well thank you Paul. Um, well I, I see the future as really bright for the American Council of the Blind. I think we uh, as Mitch spoke of a little bit our our membership is changing. Uh, Paul and Chris Bell will talk a little bit at our general session this year about the 30 year anniversary of the ADA, and the the, the current generation has, that's coming through uh, did not has not had the same level of discrimination as previous generations. Right? We're not there yet. We're not on an equal playing field, but we're much closer. And so. I think it's important that we have a, a strong membership organization, but we invite others in through our Friends of ACB program, through our associations. We've got to really uh, continue to widen the tent. Uh, membership matters, uh, and voices and, and hands matter. And so, one of the the goals we put in place through our leadership team is, in five years, we would like to have. 100,000 associations with the American Council of Blind. They may not all be members, they may just be friends of ACB or associates or or stakeholders, they may be involved in our mission, but we have got to continue to increase uh, our voice. And as we increase our voice, I think we have already become the preferred partner in most of corporate America. We are, we're good partners, we're good to work with, we advocate strongly for the positions of our blind and visually impaired community, but we do it in a constructive way, not a threatening way. And I think that is, is the, the role we can continue to play. And I just see us continuing to grow our staff, grow our financial resources. And I think in five years, uh, we're going to take even one step further than we have right now. I, I'm just really, really excited about the future of our
12: organization.
5: Kim.
3: Well, I, I, I am excited about the future. I, I think we're going to continue to grow. I think that I'm looking toward watching our, our staff development continue to grow so that they can do um, more activities and more advocacy, more um, financial development for the organization and um, more support. I'm excited about the the level of, of peer information and and support that ACB is engaging in with with the um, the the pilot that has just started with um, Be My Eyes. ACB is a partner. Um, if you use Be My Eyes, you there's a button there certain hours now where you can click and get support from ACB. And there's um, Claire and Stanley, Cindy Van Winkle, and a couple other people are. Um, leads in that um, connection on um, that is linking more and more people to ACB as a key support organization. And you know, because um, it's so difficult for people who have lost their vision to connect um, to blindness organizations, um, that's a good way for ACB to connect and to have valued, knowledgeable people like Claire and Cindy, at the forefront like that is really a great um, opportunity for us to really bring people in and show them the value of knowledgeable peer support and advocacy for um, people who are blind out in the community. So being there, growing that, supporting that. um, And then uh, personally, I'm excited about growing, continuing to grow our international presence Um, Mitch is concluding his final year as vice president of the North American Caribbean region of the World Blind Union. And as he said, um, next June or next May, actually, I will um, become the president of the region. And ACB has a much higher profile in international um, relations in the blindness community than we have ever had and a much higher degree of respect And I think that's due to a lot of the work which and I have done over the last um, several years and that is um, going to continue. So there's a lot of areas where we'll continue to grow and I'm looking forward to that challenge.
2: I wanna thank the presidents for putting up with my questioning and for being a part of what I think has been an interesting exploration of where ACB came from and where we are. And Chris, the future, you may have the last word.
9: Okay, well, thank you. You know, ACB has done a tremendous job over the years of seeing new things, jumping on them, and working with our membership to make to make them part of ACB. Uh, Paul, you and I working together, and, and Brian and very few others saw the value of this ACB radio idea in oh, ninety nine, yeah. 2000. We'll look at ACB Radio today. And I could go on and on about things. So what about the future? Um, <clears throat> I think we have uh, a need to reach out to younger blind people. I don't have a great idea of how to do that, but I do you know that one we minute, need to Chris. strengthen our work with our current major population. And I think that ACB needs to jump on the idea of accessible medical technology. Home medicine today is huge and we need to be a player. We need to be able to be an active player. And if ACB were to pursue that, it would put us on the map with a lot of blind folks that we're not touching today.
2: Chris, thank you so much. Everybody will have to wonder what I would have said because I don't have time. <laughs> FCB, thank you so much for, for allowing us to be a part of your morning and I'm going to turn it back over to Miss Katie
0: and I am here and I have to say this has been an absolute pleasure to listen to this um, prior to prior to my retirement I was a teacher and I went spent many years at ACB conventions and sat in the audience and saw all you guys as wonderful presidents, I have to say. It's wonderful to hear your voices. You all sound fabulous. Um, It's nice what you're doing for ACB. Continue to work hard, because we need you. And we're going to go ahead and segue into our next program section, which is the ACB office, what happens there. Continue to listen, because you will be amazed at all the things that does go on. Debbie Grubb is going to be our felicitator. And uh, Cindy, uh, Claire, (laughs) I can't talk. (laughs) That's why I'm not a radio announcer. Claire Stanley and Dan Spoon are going to join her. So take it away, Miss Debbie. Um, Are you unmuted, ma'am? Debbie? I'm here. There she is, okay. But I didn't do any, I think it was on the other
4: end, I was connected anyway, we're here and God bless everybody and thank the Lord and all that stuff. One of the reasons that I put these two program pieces together, the conversation with the president and the what's happening at the national office is that I thought there was a, a natural segue. And before I let the people of the hour speak, I just wanna share, a personal experience with you all because although it happened years ago, I think it is still relevant today. When I became involved in the American Council of the Blind of Maryland, um, I was a brand new advocate. I I <laughs> I didn't know anything. In fact, to tell you the truth, when I started getting involved, I didn't even know what the titles of the ADA signified. That's where I was. And what I want to tell you is, I'm not shy, and so. I got I got, lots of, um, I got lots of help from the ACB National Office and from the California Council of the Blind because I knew what I didn't know and I called. And so what I wanna say is that we have a wonderful staff and as the presidents have aptly said, it is a growing staff, it is an evolving staff, but the ACB National Office is a resource that is so valuable to us in leadership, in our local chapters, in our state and special interest affiliates. And I hope one of the outcomes of this meeting will be that if you don't ask for assistance from the national office, when you need it, if you don't, if if you don't ask for their guidance, their opinion, their advice, it doesn't mean that you have to Seed your power or your own organizational goals but what it means is that you have advice from people who have your best interest at heart and who really can get you on a path and so that's one of the things i wanted and for the for the florida council of the blind i have talked to many people who really wonder why we we send dues to the american council of the blind and why we um why we are involved and I imagine other affiliates have the same issues. And so what I wanted today is to do is to have Claire and Dan, even in this terrible time we're going through, and even though the national staff is not housed now in their physical office, they are still carrying on their work and amazing things happen. And so I just want, as I said in the program that piece that I wrote, at the end of this, I hope that you will be amazed and proud of our national office. And I hope that you will see their value and anything that you can do to seek their assistance and to lend yours to them will be a wonderful thing. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn this meeting over to Claire, who is um, our our advocacy outreach person at the ACB. She's a wonderful person and our, our Grand and positive president. He and his wife. I think if you put in what is positivity and what is all things are possible, you could put their pictures right there in the Oxford English Dictionary, and everybody would know what that meant. So, having said all that, I now present to you Claire and Dan. For I know what will be an insightful and exciting hour. Take it away, guys. <laughs>
8: thank, thank you, Debbie, and uh, thank you, Claire. I, Claire. Uh, uh, should I go first and kind of do the general overview? Is that a good approach? That,
13: that sounds great, Dan. Yep. Okay.
8: Well, thank you all. Thank you for being here. It's been so long since I've had a chance to talk with you. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the ACB office, We first of all, we have two offices. We have an office in Alexandria, Virginia, and we have uh, an office in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota which is really just a suburb of uh, Minneapolis and so uh, in our Alexandria office is really where we have as you can imagine most of our key policy folks our development folks uh, the people that are having to interact with our federal agencies and our federal legislatures so our executive director is Eric Bridges uh, he was uh, hired in this current role in 2015, which is hard to believe he's coming up on his five-year anniversary here uh, this November and even uh, has already surpassed that as, as the interim role before he became our permanent executive director. And what Eric has been able to do is really bring youth and vitality and energy uh, to our staff. And uh, he, he's taken on the role uh, being our executive director and part of that role has really been to help us financially and build he's built amazing relationships with many of the major corporations in our country everyone from Microsoft to J.P. Morgan Chase to Apple and Google and on down the road it, there's a litany of uh, major partners that we now have because of the hard work of Eric Bridges, his staff, and our officers and board members. But Eric has really been the leader in those efforts. And and then he has really, really compiled a very, very um, efficient and as, as uh, Kim said, small but mighty staff. So we now have a new director of development, Tony Stevens, who had previously served as our advocacy director. He has come on uh, starting March 1st Uh, really in in the strange world of COVID-19, but he has hit the ground running. He has really uh, helped uh, strengthen our relationships with some of our key partners. And he uh, has just been invaluable in helping us put together the sponsorships for our convention this year and helping us to organize what will be just a wonderful virtual convention with both video and audio, which is going to be an interesting challenge for us. So so Tony has really brought uh, spirit and inspiration and has hit the ground working, I think, 12 to 14 hour days right out of the shoot. So we're really glad to have Tony back in the development role. We have uh, Clark Rackful as our Director of Advocacy, uh, you see all the wonderful work that he has done uh, with accessible voting, uh, with what's going on in uh, transportation and with so many different issues that we're dealing with uh, at the national level. Uh, things again that are related to COVID-19 and uh, it's been, it's I just love uh, Clark's flexibility, his willing to seize the moment And, uh, you know, I will get a call from him at 11 o'clock at night and say, Dan, we need a letter by tomorrow morning. Let's make this happen. We've got a a press release is coming out for accessible voting in New Jersey and ACB needs to be part of that press release. So so Clark is working tirelessly on those efforts and his assistant, who's Claire, who's here with us today, is our advocacy uh, outreach specialist. She works more on individual Uh, advocacy issues in the office. And for those of you who aren't aware of this, we receive almost 2,000 phone calls a month in our offices. So it's amazing the amount of newly blind and visually impaired people, uh, members uh, who are having issues, the number of touch points we have with blind and visually impaired people and Claire is in our lead position for those roles as well as just a wonderful advocate for transportation and we'll hear more about Claire's individual duties but she's doing an absolutely fabulous job. We have Kelly Gass who we hired as an administrative assistant but now she does so much more. She is our um, she's our project manager for acb.org and the whole Uh, Rewrite of our our website a year and a half ago and how that has moved forward. Uh, She does our graphic design. She's our team lead for our public awareness committee that works on communicating uh, to our members and outside of our membership. We have 22 communication channels inside of ACB. Everything from ACB radio to the Braille forum Uh, To uh, all of our social media on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And Kelly is really the heartbeat behind all of those efforts. And then of course, we have Sharon Lovering, who is our editor of the Braille Forum, just does an absolutely amazing job there. She also edits our dots and dashes that now comes out on a weekly basis, summarizing the major activities for American Council of Blind for the, for the last week in review. Uh, she does our Washington connection where you can call in and get the latest on any advocacy issues or what's going on with inside of ACB for those with low, kind of lower technolo- technology side of the spectrum. So Sharon is just the person who kind of, she's the glue. She pulls it all together. If anybody else can't answer the phone, it's Sharon who's who's Johnny on the spot and answers the phone. She has a wealth of knowledge. She has been with us for over 25 years and really brings that institutional knowledge to our organization. So that's our Alexandria office. And then in the Minnesota office, we have our chief financial officer, uh, Nancy Marks Becker she's now been with us for seven years in the last I believe three years as our CFO just is an amazing person keeps track we had another perfect audit this year we just did our audit process uh, in April and got a yet another clean audit Uh, she keeps track of all of our financials Uh, she also is responsible for our HR responsibilities she manages our two remaining thrift stores which she, working with her new assistant Alicia Knight, has just totally turned around. Uh, several years ago, we were losing a hundred thousand plus dollars with our thrift stores. Last year, we made three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in our thr- thr- two thrift stores in Lovick and Amarillo, Texas. And Nancy and um, Nicole, before Alicia, were really instrumental working with our. Uh, Uh, ACB, uh, uh, what we'd call uh, Entrepreneurial Services Board, uh, headed by Michael Garrett, has just done an absolutely outstanding job of turning around our thrift stores, making them very professional, hiring really high-quality managers. Uh, We now have communication apparatus in the stores where we can uh, see video of the shoppers coming in and out. Uh, We've recently reopened in the last week now with all the COVID-19 safety measures in place with plexiglass, with the uh, sanitation stations. And, uh, you know, it's uh, been a very trying time. Uh, Nancy has also helped us apply for our uh, grant or loans through the PPP program. Uh, we jumped on that the very first day we had eligibility and were able to secure both a loan for the thrift stores and a loan for acb.org uh, in general. And so that's been uh, a really wonderful accomplishment. And um, and so Nancy just does an absolutely outstanding job. Working with her is um is Nancy Christine Fila. Uh, she's our administrative assistant in the Minnesota office. She helps uh, do just a number of tasks, getting ready for the convention here. Uh, she's our main person that works with the ACB Mini Mall with Carla Rushable and team to get all the inventory cataloged and get the items out as you all uh, shop uh, to the to our members and friends. And uh, she just uh, she will do whatever it takes to get the job done. Uh, We also have a few key contractor roles. We have Lane Waters, who used to be our CFO, and now is our lead accountant underneath uh, Nancy. He's in a contract position, but just does an amazing job, brings all that experience uh, to to the task uh, from his years as being CFO. We have Joel Snyder, who is our director of audio description. Uh, Many of you know Joel. It is really one of the, the jewels of our organization. Uh, the Audio Description Project is really known around the world. Uh, little well-kept secret, but we actually get more hits on acb.org ADP, where all our audio description materials are housed, than we do on acb.org as our homepage. So that is the popularity of our audio description project. And what's really interesting there is 61 percent of the hits we got get on acb.org/adp are from individuals that are 34 years of age or younger. So it has really become a vehicle for us to reach out to the next generation of blind and visually impaired people. And then last but not least, I cannot—I've uh, got to give a big hip hip hooray to Debbie Hazelton and. Jason Castagay, who are our newest contractors. Uh, Debbie, of course, is our program director for ACB Radio, and Jason is our technical director. And they have taken over from uh, for Larry Turnbull because of his health situation and just have hit the ground running and in the last, oh, my gosh, six months, just to see the, the change in ACB Radio and how it has grown and blossomed and uh, just special thanks uh, to Debbie and Jason and, and, and all their hard work and also to uh, helping us with the FCB convention uh, today. So that's kind of a little overview of our employees. And uh, I'll turn it over to Claire, Claire to, uh, to add her insights being on the ground. Oh, I will say one more thing. Um, with the COVID-19 virus, what we had to do starting um, uh, March 16th is move to working virtually. And so nobody has been in our offices uh, physically for the last uh, eight weeks. We've now had a couple people come back in the Minnesota office, but I just could not have been prouder of our staff and how they responded, working remotely, taking care of, Uh, kids and family responsibilities and working from their home. And I think putting in longer and and harder days than they did in the office, if that's even possible. But the amount of work they've been able to get done working virtually has just been fantastic. Uh, They've done it with smiles in their voices. Uh, They're always uh, available. Uh, If you call the The numbers, they ring through, ring central, and go straight to their cell phones at home. Uh, They answer with a smile on their face and have just kept the productivity up at just an amazing level inside of ACB. So thanks to Claire and all the teammates for working virtually and not missing a step. So Claire?
13: Great. Thank you, Dan. Um, Good morning, everybody. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Awesome. I never quite trust myself with that.
8: I know what you mean.
13: (laughs) um one more person I wanted to point out too um and stop me if you mentioned her but I didn't hear Dan one of our other contractors is Jolynn who oh my gosh I
8: thank you Claire oh gosh Jolynn I am so sorry she moved to the west coast and I've got (laughs) (laughs) hopefully she's listening this early in the morning but Jolynn Bailey Page who is our grant writer has been our grant writer now for oh gosh, at least five or six years, and does an absolutely outstanding job uh, writing grants for our organization. In addition, she's our project manager for our Unity project, which is a combined project between Google, the University of Hawaii, and the American Council of Blind to audio describe all the brochures at our visitor centers for all of our national parks and she is also our person who stage manages our convention she is a woman that wears many hats she <laughs> volunteers at our dc leadership conference Jolene, i apologize you are just fantastic and thank you claire i know i was going to forget somebody so thank
13: you <laughs> yep of course uh well good morning everybody um it's great to be able to talk to the Florida council and everybody else who is listening out there. Um, I'd love to just tell you guys um, about what goes on in the national office, um, obviously for me in the Vir- Alexandra, Virginia office but we do interact very regularly with the Minneapolis office as well. Um, My perspective is gonna be skewed a little bit because I work on the advocacy projects. So I'll focus on that a little bit more, but I do wanna touch on the other projects as well. Um, And some of this, I'll try not to repeat Dan, but some of it will be similar because he did such a great job talking about what um, what we do. So thank you, Dan. Um, One of the new things that we have been working on in the national office in concert with all of you members out there, are the new steering committees that have really kicked up in the last year or so. Um, So we have several steering committees um, with members who are part of all of our different committees and affiliates what-have-you and just members of ACB in general and through those steering committees that have topics like public relations and Advocacy and the one that I lead which is information referral and peer support or ERPS as they affectionately call it are doing some great work um, um, Just to make sure that we are bringing together our committees our affiliates and our members to get things done Um, So that's really exciting um, and I'll talk briefly about the steering committee, ERPS as I called it, um, information referral and peer support. So, information uh, referral um, starts a lot of times when people call our office. And Sharon Lovering, like Dan said, our editor, tends to be our first, first, our frontline um, line of interaction with people who call. She answers the main line. And we get people who, have just lost their vision and need referrals to their vocational rehab, or people who are trying to get social security and are bumping into issues, as many of us know, tends to happen. So, information referral that component is getting people the research, resources they need, giving them a phone number, an email address, that kind of thing. And then the peer support is taking it a step further when, for instance, again, someone's just lost their vision and they just need to be connected with the person to say, hey, I live in your city or your county. You know, I lost my vision when I was X years old as well. Let me, you know, lend a hand. Let me tell you what to do, that kind of thing. So ERPS is starting to do a lot of work to start putting together a database of resources that we can easily access um, to be able to point people in the right direction. And then also developing a list of you know, members who want to be those peers to reach out to. So I definitely encourage all of you uh, Floridians and others who are listening, if you want to be a peer support person, that's something we're working on as well. Um, I know it came up earlier today in one of the sessions I was listening to. One of the other things we're working on both in the uh, Alexandria office and the um, Minnesota office is Be My Eyes. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard of Be My Eyes before. It's similar to Ira, but it's a free app where you can call in and get sighted assistance. But one cool thing about Be My Eyes is they also have resources for persons who use the app to get help with specific things. So for instance, they have connections with Microsoft. So if you're having technical difficulties, you can get connected with somebody who knows you know, JAWS users and they can help you with Microsoft. But another cool aspect they have is connections with groups like ACB. So somebody via the Be My Eyes app can call in and say, hey, when's the ACB convention? Or uh, for people like me who do the advocacy, hey, you know, I'm trying to get resources for X, Y, or Z. Where do I go? And so shout out to Cindy Van Winkle. She is the lead of the Be My Eyes project for ACB, and she's doing a wonderful job. And so we're doing... um, Three hours a day, all five days a week. So uh, 15 hours a week we provide this service. Um, We have been getting a slow but steady trickle of calls as we've started. It's been about three or four weeks now since we started. It's been great. We've had members who have called in who are actual ACB members and those who aren't. And we're hoping to use it as a way to say, hey, you should check out ACB or your state affiliate and get involved. So it's been a great opportunity so far, and I really enjoyed it. Um, The next thing I wanted to talk about in the national office are some of the different ways we are doing advocacy work, and we do that in a whole slew of different ways. Um, Like was mentioned before, um, I, uh, as the advocacy and outreach specialist, do a lot of direct advocacy work, and that kind of bleeds back into the ERPS work that I was talking about before. So when someone calls the office and talks to Sharon or myself and says something's going on, We'll take note of it and try to help them. So I'll do a lot of phone calls to social services for people. I'll teach people what the ADA says so they can be their own advocate, those kinds of things. So we do a lot of direct advocacy for people. Um, So I'd encourage people, if you're having issues, give us a call. But if you know other people who are having issues, give them our phone number, um, show them our website, tell them to go through Be My Eyes. We wanna be that direct um, service for people so that they can get services, we can help people know what their rights are, and hey, maybe they'll wanna become a member of ECB or your state affiliate through that. So that's a great great way to provide services and that's what we're doing in the national office. Um, Another thing we're doing a lot of in the national office right now Is legislation work, Um, especially, and it's something we've been working on for a long time, but especially now in light of COVID and the multiple stimulus packages that are coming out, um, Clark Rockwell and myself are constantly talking to legislative offices saying, hey, you know, we hear that in the stimulus package, you want to include X, Y, or Z, this is going to impact the blind community. Please don't do it or please include this because it will impact the blind community positively. So we're constantly calling and interacting with legislative offices. Uh, we used to do it in person a lot, which I really enjoy. Obviously, now we're doing a lot of virtual meetings, which is great. But we're constantly up on the Hill. That's the great thing about being in the D.C. area. We get a uh, travel right up to the Hill all the time and have meetings. So that's something we're doing in the national office, and it's great. Another thing we're constantly doing in the national office is litigation. We always try to make sure that lawsuits aren't our first uh, line of action. We want to have positive interactions with uh, entities, businesses, etc. But sometimes litigation is necessary. Um, So we have some great relationships with a nonprofit law firm in DC called the Washington Lawyers Committee. I'm sure that might sound familiar to some people because we've had a relationship with them for. I want to say it's something like five or six years now. So it's a great relationship. Um, Another legal relationship we have is with uh, Matt Handley. He's an attorney who actually used to work at the Washington Lawyers Committee, but who's opened up his own nonprofit law firm and has stayed working with us and does some great stuff. Um, so, for instance, if anybody's heard about the Quest Diagnostics works we're doing, um, Quest Diagnostics is a laboratory where you can go and get, like, blood work done. They use an inaccessible, an inaccessible tablet to sign in now, not accessible to our community, and so we're reaching out and potentially doing some litigation, and that Handley is the attorney who's working with us, so it's some great work we're doing. Um, In the national office, we are always, always, always liaising with uh, corporations, big companies like Microsoft and Apple, Delta, um, GM, to make sure that we can have those great relationships. Um, shout out to Eric Bridges. I think he does a great job where, you know, before we even have to go to litigation or things like that, we can really build those great relationships. So, Eric is constantly interacting with these corporations. Um, Clark and myself, for instance, before COVID kicked in and has kind of stalled stuff, have been reaching out and working with uh, Dana from Delta. She actually came to our convention last summer. Um, and just having a great relationship with Delta to say, hey, as things move forward, these are some policies and practices and procedures that would positively impact the blind community when we fly on Delta flights. So again, it's really having that great relationship with corporations out there. Um, and then lastly, because um, we'd love to take questions, uh, ACB in the national office is constantly working with other disability advocacy organizations, You know. One two voices are louder than one and so on and so forth. So um, Clark and myself are members of different committees and something we call the consortium of citizens with disabilities, and it brings together different organizations um, like United Spinal or Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, and we are constantly working on projects together. It's a great place for us to learn what's going on, because some people might hear about issues before us, so it's very helpful and educational, but we write a lot of letters to Congress or different federal agencies together, just a great place to come. I'm actually the co-chair for the Transportation Task Force, so I get to be right there involved with what's going on in the transportation world. We're also part of the National Disability Um Le- NDLA, I always get our the letters wrong, but it's, uh, it's similar to CCD, but only members of NDLA have to be led by disability advocates. So it's people with disabilities for people with disabilities, um, so it's another great advocacy group. And then those are the more formal ways of uh, working with other advocacy groups, but of course informally too. We're just constantly liaising with other disability advocates um, to have a little bit of a louder voice. Um, So I hope that's a helpful overview of of what we're doing in the national office.
4: Hi, Claire. Before we take questions, and I hope we have a, as you say, a slew of them, I think people might like to have an idea if they came, now obviously COVID is changing everything, but the spirit (laughs) is still the same. Mm -hmm. If they were to come to the national office and watch what goes on, can you just kind of give us an idea of the ebb and flow of the day like how you decide policy how things become legislative imperatives um what what happens in the national office in terms of you all working together how does that feel what does that look like before you're ready to present to us You know, press releases and other documents and articles for the Braille Forum and all those things. What does it actually, what is the ebb and flow
13: and rhythm
4: of a day in the national office?
13: I like that. It's a good question. Um, So things can look different from one day to the next, which I think is exciting. Um, You know, no two days are the same. Um, We try to work very collaboratively with each other. So we don't just try to hide in our own office or cubicle. We try to interact with each other um, regularly. I props to Eric Bridges. Sometimes he'll just wander down the hall and say, hey, what's going on? I haven't talked to you in a couple hours. Um, So trying to work very collaboratively together. Um, As far as what we decide to work on, it really can look a lot of different ways. And I think that's because we're constantly having conversations with each other and with other organizations. Um, We also often talk to outside parties, people like you guys um, and different advocates to really understand what is, quote unquote, a hot topic. Um, So there's a lot of communication internally, but also externally. Um, And then we do a great job, in my opinion, of talking together anytime we think something should be an imperative, or maybe something we want to work on in litigation. The three of us or more people um, will literally sit down in the conference room or in Eric's office and just talk through it. You know, no one person is an island. We're always uh, having conversations. And oftentimes it's an ongoing conversation. So we might talk one day and then the next day and things are constantly evolving. Um, We also talk with external um, people like again Matt Handley just to get his input and then once we have that conversation we'll mull over it a little bit and then have another conversation. So again things are constantly evolving but very open communication in the office um, which I really enjoy. You know Eric's, Eric's office door unless he's on a phone call is never closed so it's very very open and welcome to everybody talking um even during the covid crisis eric has established um, we call them happy hours um, with the acb um, staff members where a couple days a week we all get together on zoom and just talk to each other because we don't want to feel isolated and like we're not interacting with each other and during that hour it's a time where we can again kind of throw ideas at the wall bring up issues that people have brought to our attention and just keep that line of communication open
8: yeah this is dan i just having uh, had the opportunity to visit several times over the last year it's very comfortable debbie it's it's very comfortable. I mean, I I can uh, remember sitting in Clark's office having a conversation with him, and Claire just came around the corner and plopped in the seat next to me and said, Dan, I want to talk to you about diversity. And so... We spent 10 minutes talking about diversity and, and how do we get more diversity within our, our our committees and our committee chairs inside of the organization. So it, it is that kind of very comfortable, free-flowing exchange of ideas, which is uh, very welcoming. And, and a lot of times organizations tend to tend to be hierarchical, and that's really not the case with the ACB staff. They're very, very... Uh, collaborative, and I think everybody's opinion uh, is valued.
4: Mm-hmm. Cool, um, Rick. Do we have any hands
13: raised yet?
7: Not yet, Debbie. But let me okay, explain but- to everybody how, how you raise your hands. If you'd like yeah, to, okay. um, if you'd like to raise your hand and join in here, on a computer keyboard, it is Alt Y, Alt Y to raise your hand. If you're on an iPhone app, there's a raise hand button right smack in the middle of the screen. Go ahead and, and hit on it. And if uh, you dialed in on a telephone, star nine.
4: Okay, I'm going to ask another question, but Rick, please let us know because we certainly want to honor those people who raised their hands. But in the meantime, I have another question. I know um, sometimes we are a little suspect of collaborations because we feel that – we always come out on the short end of the stick. And I see where that really is not true in ACB, but I would like for you to talk about that, how we are perceived, how we get, because many times sensory issues are so very different than other issues. And I think it would be very nice for both of you to talk about our collaborative efforts, what we bring, what we get, how we assist others, and how this whole thing works to everyone's benefit. I would love to hear that, I know. Hmm. So, Claire, you want to go? And then, Dan, if you have
13: anything to add, that would be wonderful. Sure. Sure. Um, I definitely know what you're talking about, Debbie, and it's definitely something we hear um, on a pretty regular basis. I personally am of the opinion, though, that we, you know, two voices are still louder than one, and three is louder than two, and so on. Um, and I think it's important for the blind community and the sensory disability community to get out there and throw our hands up in the air and wave them around and say, we're, we're here, we're not going anywhere. And so because of that, um, I think it's important for us to stay in the conversation, even if sometimes it feels like maybe our voices aren't heard as much. You know, you just gotta keep pounding, pounding the pavement, so to speak. Um, and I found, you know, as I've, you know, tried to make myself heard, the more persistent you are, it does make a difference. Um, like I said, I'm the co-chair of the transportation task force in CCD. Um, And so because of that, um, the blind community has really been getting our two cents put in. And then we just got a new co-chair this year who is actually Sarah Moller from the American Foundation for the Blind. So now it's like, score, we've got another blind organization working. (laughs) And so because of that, you know, I feel like our voices are a little bit louder in that respect too. So it can definitely be hard and I get it, but um, I, th- I I never, and this is my opinion, I feel like we should never just, you know, um, turn away and say, well, you know, forget this. Now, with that said, of course, we do always, me, Eric, and Clark have had this conversation on more than one occasion. If there's an issue that we feel like the blind community needs to address and we have to kind of stand up for our disability at that point, you know, that's always going to be our first priority. Without a doubt, we want to advocate and be collaborative with other groups. But our first and foremost priority is always the blind community. So it it can be a juggling, a juggling um, situation sometimes. Um, But I do think that making, um, you know, allies and working in the greater community can be really important because the disability community is small, but the blind community is really small.
8: Yeah, and I see us, if, if I take an example, like the Federal Communication Commission and what we've got going on with audio description, uh, you know, we have so many expertise voices in that in that world. So we've got Carl Richardson, who's the co-chair of the ADP committee that has uh, chaired a, um, you know, one of their special advisory board groups on how to have uh, an accessible directory uh, become part of the FCC's guidelines. Uh, we've got Clark, who's represented us related to extending uh, the market coverage. Claire is there. Joel is there. Tony Stevens is there. When we talk to Will Shell, who's the attorney for the FCC, he knows all our ACB folks by first name. I mean, this is the relationship we've developed collaboratively with the FCC. Yet at the same time, we've been able to take that to corporations like Netflix and Amazon with their prime, uh, Apple Plus with with their streaming service. And without any litigation, we've been really able to have those organizations move forward and offer audio description. But at the same time with Hulu, we had to take that next step and actually file a lawsuit in order to get their attention. So it can happen at all kinds of different levels. But I think audio description is a really good example where by working collaboratively and getting, getting your name out there, um, we have really been able to just make huge strides, I think.
7: We have a question from Janine.
8: Hello, Janine.
4: Oh, hi. How are you? Good. Good. I just wanted to say I'm really excited that you guys are working with Be My Eyes because I've been using Be My Eyes since I went blind last year. And my boyfriend noticed three weeks ago and we clicked on the link and we called and um whoever I talked to sent me information. Like I asked, I didn't know what the A C B was or even what the F C B was. Uh-huh. So Whoever I talked to sent me information on ways I could connect and get more information. So I just want to say I'm really excited that you paired with Be My Eyes because I think it's going to get Be My Eyes out there for more blind people like me. And also your list of what's audio described. my boyfriend goes to it all the time. And Uh tells me, oh, they added a new movie. So I wanted to say Uh thanks for keeping that updated, like on top of that.
8: Janine, where do you, do you live in Florida? I do live in Florida. Whereabouts? I live in Kissimmee. Kissimmee! Oh, you're you're right here in the Central Florida area. You'll have to be. Uh, we'll have to get you engaged in the Greater Orlando Council of the Blind. We have a lot of members from Kissimmee.
4: That would be awesome. Yeah.
8: Well, thank you for uh, see in this great Claire. It's you contact that. us through you. Those you, are the
13: stories you want to hear. That's oh, the most yeah. certainly.
8: Yeah, thank
10: you. Thank and you. you know, if it
4: doesn't give
13: you all chills to hear
4: a story like Janine, yeah. and I mean, it, it's just a beautiful thing. And, and that is why we need each other and we need our national presence for sure. Um, are there any other questions right now, Rick? Because you know me, if there thank aren't, you, Janine. I'll another
7: one. No, there, thank you. there are, okay. Debbie. Julian is next.
13: No, Go, Julian.
7: Thank you, Janine. Claire, good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. I just wanted to say thank you very much. Thank you to everybody. And thank you so much for the legislative information with COVID-19 as far as for the visually impaired. This is the only platform that
10: I have heard
7: anybody connect COVID-19 with the visually impaired. Mm. You will hear about it on the news all day, every day. But you don't hear, well, I don't hear anything connecting the visually impaired. So I want to say thank you so much for that information. I really appreciate it. Of and course. thank you for a wonderful program.
13: Well, thank you. And just as a plug, thank you so much for saying that. We, we are happy to hear that. And as a plug for that, please let us know in the national office if there are any issues. Obviously, if there are any issues, period, let us know. But as COVID-related there are any issues that have arisen during this crisis that um, we need to deal with, please let Clark and myself know. You can always call us at the national office or e- email us at advocacy at acb.org. You know, we've really tried to keep a finger on the pulse of now that COVID's been going on, what issues have, you know, floated to the surface because of it. Um, voting, education, social security. But if there are things we haven't talked about, please let us know and we will take an immediate look at it.
7: Phone number ending in 9200, please.
1: Hi, Rick. It's Sheila. I got off my computer and been listening on ACB
10: radio. (laughs) (laughs) This is a nice
1: transition to be able to just go in there and make breakfast and listen. um claire debbie and dan thank you so much for this presentation janine my name is sheila young and i am president of the local greater orlando council of the blind so please feel free to reach out to me we would love to talk with you and love to meet you
10: what's Um, your
8: number sheila how can she get in touch
1: 407-425-9200 but the reason I was calling, and, and Janine, you can go to org, and my name is there as FCB's president, so you can you can find my contact there. Um, my question to you, Claire, and I know you, you covered this a little bit yesterday in the legislative, but in case anybody wasn't able to hear it, um, if somebody really feels there is a genuinely major concern as a blind or visually impaired person with a, an issue that would covered the whole country not just Florida how would they approach to um, give input on a legislative imperative and I'm going to hang up and listen to your answer thank you so much
13: of course thank you well you know if you have any issues you can just bug Clark no I'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) Um, please let us know Uh, we talked about this yesterday um, like like Sheila said Um, when we are putting together each year Um, we generally have three imperatives for the hill visit it could be more or less but we try to keep it around three Um, we are constantly looking for issues that would impact the blind community that could be dealt with at a legislative level and we know there are tons of issues i'm sure you're all nodding your head that that could be um, impacting the blind community but because this is a hill visit it has to be addressed legislatively for it to be an imperative Um, If you're not sure if it is, give me a call, give Clark a call, and we can talk it out loud with you. Um, It does have to be something that is an issue at the federal level, like Sheila said. We hope, 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 hope that if there are things going on at the state level that you guys as FCB are working on them in, you know, Tallahassee. But for the three imperatives um, for our leadership conference each year, um, we're constantly combing through. Issues that people are calling in with and say, hey, I've heard that before. I see a pattern. Or, ooh, I've heard uh, legislations out there and, ooh, that'll really help us or, ooh, that won't help us. So we constantly have our ear to the ground, but we're only a couple of people. So if we're missing anything, please, please, please reach out. Again, you can always email us at advocacy at acb.org or call the number, uh, the national number on our website at acb.org. And um, we do really want to hear from you guys because we are just a couple of people.
8: And a shout out, I've got to give a shout out to FCB. Uh, Clark shared with us on one of the last meetings we had that there were, uh, Clark and Claire received 200 plus feedback forms back from our Hill visits uh, in February. And 27 of those were from the Florida Council of the Blind. So one out of every seven feedback forms came back from Florida Council of the Blind. So thank you, thank you, thank
13: you. And we are so appreciative to get those those. Forms back from you guys because it really helps Clark and myself know what steps to take next. So thank you, thank you, thank you.
8: Claire, can you tell us a word or two about the uh, Advocacy Update podcast?
13: Yes. Um, So, Clark and myself, and sometimes with Eric or other people, um, put on a weekly podcast called ACB Advocacy Update. And our goal with the podcast is just that we want to update you guys on what we're doing in the national office. And especially about advocacy projects, but it's also expanded to be other projects we're working on. We know that, you know, we're just this little office, small but mighty office in Alexandria. And so when we have people from all over the country, sometimes people don't know what's going on in the national office. And people say, hey, what are those people doing? <laughs> we <laughs> want we want to tell you guys what we're doing. And so that was the intent of the podcast is for us to really educate you guys on hey, this is what we've been working on. These are issues we find important. These are the people we're talking with, we're working with. Unfortunately, we can't always tell you guys every tiny last thing, because for instance, with a litigation, sometimes things are confidential, etc. But we try our absolute hardest to really tell you guys what we're working on. So it's transparent, and you guys know what's going on. And hey, even you guys can then say, hey, we can help in whatever way by calling our congress members or things like that so we really try to be transparent and use the podcast to show you guys what's going on I any other wanna, questions yeah i don't okay. want to
7: mispronounce this name first name uh, a s l i
13: it's asla
12: thank you so. <laughs> go ahead all right, thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for doing the presentation, uh, and, and also thank you so much for all the work you guys do and advocacy for blind people. I think everything all around—it's it, a lot of work that you do, and it's—and I appreciate your efforts. I do have a question though, just because I don't think I've ever heard the ACB talk about this, but do you guys do any advocacy in the area of helping raise funding or? advocacy for medical research to help prevent blindness. Is there any areas that you guys work you know, with with medical teams or, or anything to try to help get them funding to keep doing the work they're doing and to continue with uh, those kind of efforts? Um, this is Dan. Hey, Asla, how are you
8: doing? Good to hear your voice. Um, I'll take that one. I would say directly we do not raise money for, for preventing blindness type of activities. But on the other hand, um, we are now partnering with the Foundation Fighting Blindness uh, that spends a lot of time doing research uh, for uh, retinal uh, degenerative diseases, uh, as well as we are now on a policy forum uh, with Prevent Blindness that is being headed up by uh, VisionServe Alliance. And so I would say directly, we are not uh, investing money in research, but we are very strong advocates of any agency or legislative, um, uh, I'll say, bills or activities that promote uh, that promote prevention of blindness. and And one more caveat to that is, I think we've been very involved. Uh, Chris Gray talked about it a little earlier. Uh, with dealing with accessible healthcare equipment. So maybe Claire could talk for a minute about that.
13: Sure. Yeah. One of our imperatives for 2019 um, specifically dealt with um, trying to create legislation to develop durable medical equipment that's accessible for people who are blind or visually impaired. We initially approached it from um, the perspective of people with diabetes, and so uh, glucometers and other devices that diabetics use to, um, you know, maintain their their health. Um, because for whatever reason, disgustingly, it's 2020, and we still don't have most accessible devices. Um, it started for people with uh, diabetes, but we want to expand it to all kinds of different devices because we live in an era where you can do all kinds of things independently. Um, medically, I should say. And so um, it's not an imperative this year in 2020 for all kinds of reasons that I'd be happy to talk about. People want to talk about it, but it is still extremely much so on our radar, and we're going to continue to work on it because it's such an important thing. So as far as health goes, we are working on making durable medical equipment accessible for people who are blind or visually impaired.
8: And I really do think this is an area where we can advocate as as members, because it's the voices. It's, it's showing up in, in people's offices and saying, look, I'm blind, visually impaired, and I deserve the right to have accessibility, access to my medical equipment just like anyone else. And so I think as our population continues to age, it's just going to become more and more important. Mm-hmm. And as Claire said, it's no longer a technology barrier. I mean, everything can talk to you now. Why can't our medical equipment be accessible? Asla, Did that answer your question? Do you have any follow up?
12: I appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for the response. And I appreciate your efforts on the medical equipment too. So that, that's always a good, good help to all of us. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Rick, any other hands?
7: No, Debbie, it's back to you.
4: All right, then. Um, I think that one of the things we need to spend a minute or two on, as our time is fast dwindling away, is the necessity for fortitude and not never say die and continuing. Because mm-hmm. some people will like. For, I'll give an example: the um, the Medicare issue with um, with with equipment for people with low vision that that has lenses and, and now, you know, and all the problem that we've had with that. And we have been taking that imperative to the Hill for so many years. And so Claire and Dan too, I just think sometimes we lose heart, we get frustrated, we get out of patience. So if there's anything you can say by telling a success story or two after years or anything that you want to say regarding this matter for people who kind of give up hope and say it's just hopeless and we're never going to get there. So talk about that for a moment or two, please.
13: For sure. I can go first. Um, I completely understand and respect the frustration that we can have because things do move really slowly, especially when we're talking about legislation, but not just legislation, also regulations and the federal administ- you know agencies, um, just all kinds of things that we do. Um, but we should never give up because although things move slowly, they do happen. Um, I was fortunate yesterday to to sit in on one of the presentations you guys, you guys had with Senator Simmons from your state, um, and mm-hmm. he even said things move slowly. It just is, but he you know he encouraged people to continue keeping on um, because. Because it does happen eventually. Um, I want to say I heard statistically the other day somewhere that a piece of legislation can take up to seven years to become law, which sounds so frustrating, but it does happen. Um, uh, Like Debbie said, we're going to keep working on the low vision devices bill. We've been working on it for a long time. We're not giving up because it will happen. Um, Same with the Cogswell-Macy Act. You know, it's been several years, but we're not giving up. You know, again, it's frustrating and I get it but I think that statistic of it taking up to seven years is just something important to have in the back of your head because it's, it's frustrating to wait, but statistically it it does happen. So uh, keep on keeping on because the saying goes Um, and you know, these issues are important. So we can't, can't back away from them.
8: Yeah. I used to have a, uh, a, a magnet that I kept on my refrigerator uh, with a, with a, with a straight flush and it said, preparation I mean uh, luck is where preparation meets opportunity and I really see that a lot in our legislative world you you have to be prepared have your have your have your policy in place have done your homework and then it's when the opportunity hits I mean we're seeing that right now with accessible voting we could have gone forever struggling to get accessible paper ballots and now With the COVID-19, there's an opportunity that goes along with our preparation. And all of a sudden we're seeing already about 20 states across the country pass state legislation that is allowing for some level of accessible paper ballots. And so same thing with um, accessible uh, drug prescription labels. We fought that for a number of years and all of a sudden at the right time when a healthcare bill and an incident uh, hit Congress in 2010. And before we knew it, we had, uh, you know, we had kind of turned the corner on accessible prescription labels. Claire and Debbie, you all have have been in advocacy for a long time. Do you see this kind of, there's all of a sudden this kind of unknown momentum that just kind of snatches itself. And, and once that ball gets rolling, it doesn't stop.
10: Mm-hmm.
13: And I think you put it really well, Dan, that sometimes you just don't know suddenly you turn the corner and some opportunity comes up that we never would have thought of. And if we had given up, then, you know, oh, no, the opportunity came and we're not ready and prepared. So, um, you know, I think it's important to, to really continue to to, to work because um, you never know when those opportunities will arise.
8: I think we're going to have the same thing with accessible metal equi- medical equipment. Something's mm-hmm. going to hit and we're going to go, what? The society's going to go, what the heck? This is ridiculous,
10: mm-hmm.
4: you know? Sometimes it happens because someone in a legislature somewhere or in in Congress knows somebody or is touched Mm -hmm. by somebody. When I first began my work as an advocate way back when, I said, at some point in your life, you will be touched by disability, either through the aging process, an accident, disease, or somebody that you care about. So, you know, we're here and we don't wish that for you, But it is a reality. And so therefore, it behooves you just because it's the right thing to do. And also for those you care about and love to do the right things for us Mm -hmm. to level that playing field. And, and that was true way back when I first began. And it is just as true today. Um, in the waning minutes that we have, I want to find out if um, either of you – oh, one final thing, because I'm all about democracy. Um, <laughs> do we have any hands raised,
10: No, I we don't, not. Debbie. Nope, okay, nope, nope. Well, then
4: we're going to move right along in our last five minutes then. Um, first of all, I want to give each of you a moment or two to say any last words that you want to say about the National Office advocacy, our role in the organization's success, anything that you feel led to say to our members?
10: Uh, you want to well, go
13: first, Claire? Yeah, go ahead, Claire. Sure. Dave, um, Dave, you get to finish up. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, I would just always encourage everybody. I apologize. My guide dog has now decided to make noise in the background. Um, I would always encourage everybody to get involved. Um, We have a great, I say extremely biased. We have a great group of people in the national office, in the Minneapolis office, working very hard. But we are, you know, a small group, small but mighty. But in order to do more, we need everybody to join a committee, get involved, you know, on the leadership of your affiliate um, start advocating, you know, joining us on making phone calls on our imperatives. It could look like so many different things. Um, but we have thousands and thousands of members in ACB. If you guys get involved, our voice just grows that much more. So, uh, we want to help and We're going to work as hard as we can, but in order to do even more, you know, please, as members get involved, however you can. Dan.
8: Thank you, Debbie and and Claire. And I would just say I I want to give a special shout out to Cindy Van Winkle, our membership services coordinator, and all the work she's done just in so many different areas, but especially pulling together these community chats. I think this has been just a, you know, a, a revolutionary thing inside of American Council of the Blind to have all of these voices in so many different areas of expertise Mm -hmm. and and fun just connecting and and having conversations I think last week we had 40 chats that reached out to over 1500 individuals so it's just it's just wonderful to see the collaboration and the spirit and interest in our organization and I'm hoping this is not a COVID-19 phenomenon. I don't think it is. I think we're now going to a different level. And I think we're going to see that spirit bleed over into advocacy and to all different phases of our lives. So uh, thanks to everybody that's participated in the community chats. Thanks to ACB radio for broadcasting so many of them and stay involved.
10: Mm -hmm.
4: And guys, remember my mantra, everybody counts or nobody counts, and we are a part of the everybody. So don't feel apathetic and don't feel defeated. Do what you can. Not everybody is Dan or Claire, but by golly, all of us can pick up a telephone or um, get write a letter, whatever it is we can do, whatever little thing we can do to add to the choir. You know, a choir has singers that sing all these different parts, and then you've got the beautiful solo voices that soar above, but if they didn't have the foundation of the choir, they wouldn't be nearly as wonderful. So as we close, I'm just gonna ask you to do what, We all have said for so long, I say it all the time, keep on keeping on, don't lose heart, and you are a part of everybody. And as a citizen of this country, there is nobody any more equal than you. We are all different but we are definitely equal. So keep hanging in there and we in FCB and the wonderful ACB organization with whom we are affiliated, stand ready to help and lend a hand. And thank you so much, Dan and Claire, for doing this program. And now I will turn it back over to our Zoom moderator, Mr. Rick Morin, with my thanks and gratitude.
7: Thank you, Debbie.